is gonna be a good one, man. You excited for tonight, though? Oh man, I'm so excited. It's gonna be a good one. First uh, long set of comedy in a long time. Hell yeah. Yeah. Dude, I wish I could be there. Sucks being stuck on the disabled list. Oh man, they had to sideline you. They had to sideline me. And we're back at the Sports Experience Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Chris Quinn, with my other co-host, Dominic Detola, and we're here just talking sports. Two comics who love sports talking sports. So here we go. Yeah, a couple comics. Uh, Chris is pretty stoked for his show here tonight. I was telling yeah. uh, our producer in there, Ty, I always felt weird saying that line because I hadn't done comedy in like 12 months. So now that I'm back in the back in the role that i feel right saying it you know yeah dude i'm gonna show with fucking charles ludwig in a couple weeks i saw that that show looks stacked for tucson comics i feel like it's it's all great comics but it's too many it is you know it was like nine ten comics yeah i don't i don't know if you're gonna you know i I could see splitting that up over a couple nights but like i mean Whatever, I'm stoked about it. I was going to say, is everybody getting five minutes on that? Because that would I mean. be a weird one, but it, it might be good. I mean, like, if everyone's, like, you know, swinging for the fences in five minutes, that's great. But still, like, that just seems like, unless you want the show to be, like, five hours, which, totally comfortable doing that. Yeah. But anyway, today <laughs> we got a, we're getting back into some college football action. I don't think we've done, have we done a college football one since the UH one? No, I think that was our last one. Yeah, so it's been a couple, it's been a pretty extended period of time we got picking college football today with the uh 2000 oregon state beavers i feel like this is the only time anybody's going to talk about oregon state beaver football is this one year i mean but it is the year yes and when you consider what happened leading up to this it's amazing that this even happened because let go in the wayback machine let's go 88 in the delorean here in 1964, Oregon makes the Rose Bowl. In the early 60s, they had good teams. Like, I think Terry Baker won a Heisman. He was their quarterback. Um, they were under Tommy Prothrow. And then from 66 to 70 under DeAndros, um, they were an ab- above 500 team. But just like average, and that yeah. was back when it was the... the Pack 8. Pack 8, I think, yeah. Like, they're a middling team. They're winning like five to seven games every year. They're not, like, embarrassing. No. And then 1971 happens. And starting in 1971, they have 28 straight losing seasons. They are the worst football program in the Pac-8, 10, 12, all of them. When, and when I say like losing seasons, I don't mean they're going like four and seven and five and six. No, they're like not close even to five three and eight. Yeah. They're putting up goose eggs in conference play. They're putting up goose eggs for this season. I mean, like when you think about how god awful U of A is now, like they're basically the Oregon State of the conference. But Oregon right State now. did it for so long. The, U of A has been doing this for like maybe. 10 years and that's what i mean it's oregon all- state has been doing did that for almost three decades and it's and it's not like these games were even close like washington and washington state and oregon were just coming in and beating the brakes off them well before it was a couple i think it was 97 or 98 um there was an interview with a washington player and he said we weren't like feeling good going to oregon state and crushing these teams we felt bad for them and there was a feeling that they almost shouldn't be in the conference because yeah, Ed Cunningham, who used to play for yes. those Purple Rain Washington teams. I yeah. knew you were going to pick that name. That's my favorite part of this podcast. Is I bring up a random story and you're like, "Well, that was actually Ed Cunningham." And let me give you some tackle info on him. No, but he, but he had <laughs> said like you just felt bad. Like, yeah, that was. It's like we're going to go in and kick their asses. No, it's like 
oh man it's like when i beat that girl and blind kid in wrestling you're just like do I'll i take, have to I'll take the win yeah that was the other thing was they would go up like 45 nothing in the first half and then the second half would be like you know subs in that kind of game dude could you imagine what those crowds must have been like like in major league two there had to be like one randy quaid out there just shouting obscenities at them too high <laughs> too, <laughs> too high, high. <laughs> But yeah, it, it like this is what makes this season so amazing is if you're a Oregon State Beaver fan and you went through these horrible seasons. Dude, not even the Padres were that. I can't even yeah. imagine like cuz I'm looking at these records, it's like 0 and 11, 1 and 10, 2 and 9, back to 1 and 10, yeah. 3 and 8, but no conference wins cuz you beat like Portland State or some shit team. Yeah. You know. I could, I like, you can't believe it, but in 97, something really important happens. They hire Mike Riley, a former Southern Cal assistant. And Mike Riley, interesting story, we'll get into him maybe in a postscript part. He helps him go three and eight in 97. So they're on the right track. He's a great coach. And then in 98, they end up going five and six. Like, they're on the doorstep of 500. They win the Civil War game against um, Akili Smith at home. Like, there's actual optimism. Like, hey, maybe in a year or two, this team could make a bowl game. First progress in 25 years is what they're kind mm. of looking at. And this is what I thought was probably the best move from this program. Well, so what ends up happening, though, and you're right, Riley gets a job offer from the San Diego Chargers in the NFL. And why aren't you going to take that? I thought that was really weird from the Chargers, but that's a... See, I could never... I know they had offered it to June Jones, and he had said, no, I'm going back to Hawaii. Yeah. And, you know, they had said, you know, you're working with Ryan Leaf, whatever. The Chargers weren't god-awful. I would figure they could have found a higher profile name, but you know, he offered it to him and he goes. Yeah. And Someone that like, went three and eight and then five and six. That's what I mean. Like that record doesn't like, you're like, yeah, but he improved that program so, so much. Well, yeah. yeah. Like it was almost, you know, Helen Keller, miracle worker shit. Yeah. But well, that's how you get that job, I guess. And then who comes in? That's my question. <laughs> Silver Fox comes <Yep>. in. <laughs> they uh, go out. In uh, January of 1999, and sign former multiple national champion in college football, Dennis Erickson, to a five-year, $4.5 million contract. And for those of you who don't know, Dennis Erickson, while he's more famous for his stint with the Seahawks in the NFL and winning two national titles at Miami, he really became a great and known coach in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Like he built most of his career, Montana State assistant, 71 to 73, Idaho offensive coordinator, 74 to 75, um, Idaho head coach, 82 to 85, Washington State head coach, 87 to 88. And in 88, he took him to the Aloha Bowl. Washington State was god awful. They were like Oregon State level shitty yeah. at that time, but he they won the Aloha Bowl against Houston. And uh, he did have a penchant, though, and you're noticing by these little small yep. stints of leaving very early and taking other jobs. <laughs> and I had a question on this because sometimes this happens when coaches are dirty and the program is about to face punishment. And I only bring this up because my, that Miami, because that's for Miami, sure. <laughs> it just rings. And then you wonder if it kind of happened in other programs, but 
you can see he is a winning coach, and that's... I don't think it happened at Washington State, because they just went to... They were just a program that turned it around. Yeah, he just yeah. dropped it off to Mike Price before he started going to strip clubs. It, I, I imagine it would have been hard in the 90s to not have a cheating Miami team. You know what I mean? To straighten that program out would have been probably pretty tough. Yeah, I mean, Butch Davis did a really good job of getting him back on track after the mess Erickson left. But uh, back to Oregon State. Yeah, yeah. Again, back to Oregon State. But that's why this was such a huge pickup was it's this... It's a name. It's a name. And you saw, I think, the progress. They shelled out the dough. And I want to point out something also very important. During this era of Pac-10, as we'll call it, football, so in the early 90s, for up until about 92, your dominant team was that Washington, those Washington squads, the Purple Rain defense, you know, going to Rose Bowl after Rose Bowl, winning a co-national championship with one of Erickson's Miami teams, oddly enough. Yeah. And then you have, on the other bookend, you have the beginning of Pete Carroll buying Reggie Bush's mom a house and shit, those USC teams. But in there's like that decade period in the middle from like 93 to about 02, where like the Pac-12 or the Pac-10 is wide open. And when you look back, during that 10-year stretch, seven different teams made Rose Bowls. Well, uh, Seven different teams won conference championships. U of A, not one of them. I just wanted to point that out to I wanna, all the Tucson listeners. I want to bring out how inaccurate the movie Speed is. Yeah. <laughs> and he looks at her, and she has like a U of A thing, and he goes, good football team. And I know everybody in Tucson was like, all right, that guy's a cop because that is the stupidest <laughs> thing I've ever heard in my life. Good football team. Yeah, bro. And oh. Sandra Bullock should have been like, do you watch basketball? Exactly. <laughs> that would have been more realistic. But that was said because what, we were, what we're talking about right now, top of the Pac-10 was really anybody's game. Hey, everybody. Just want to take a quick break to uh, let you know that our Sports Experience podcast is brought to you by Engel Studio here, and uh, they're here in Tucson for all your recording needs. Yeah, because you have 93 UCLA winning at 94 Oregon, 95 USC wins, 96 Arizona State wins, 97 it's Washington State, 98 UCLA again, 99 Stanford for some weird reason, and then 2000, it's wide the fuck open again. And in 99, Erickson's first year, he finally takes them to a bowl game. Yep. They go 7-4 and four in the regular season, and they qualify for a bowl game for the first time in, what, 35 years? Has to Thereabouts, be. Yeah. yeah. And they go to the Hawaii Bowl, which is Hawaii's first bowl game since that 92 episode we talked about. Oh, okay. Go and listen to that. I didn't know that. Great That's game. Good. Yeah. yeah. Um, Hawaii ends up winning, I think, 23-17. to 17, Really close game. Um, but the fact that they went seven and five Oregon State that year was pretty remarkable. Well, it shows recruits coming in that this is a viable program. Well, it not only shows recruits out of high school, Erickson wants to win and win right away, and we'll discuss some of the JUCO players he brings in. Yep. Particularly for the year two thousand who start lighting shit up on fire. Well, they're they come in and they're just flat out ready because they're not really freshmen so and one of the one of the more important things is not only do you have almost your entire defense coming back in the year 2000 your whole offensive line is coming back along with your already two year starting quarterback and your already two year starting tailback yeah which in a pack 10 that's wide the fuck open it's like almost why not us 
Yep. It's almost a why not us type thing. With Erickson at coach, it's like, yep, we're, this is our year. Yeah, and they're basically running almost the same offense that he had at Miami, the yep. single back with the three wide receivers, and then just a very on the, a little bit on the smaller side, but very aggressive attacking 4-3 type of defense. And the defense is what really bails them out at, er, in the early going. Of yeah, the season. the early se- in the 2000 season. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. because they. Yeah, you're right. The offense had a slow start. I thought that was interesting because everybody kind of talks about the offense. Well, I'm thinking as far as the offense goes, it, it's probably harder for the passing game because you do have all these JUCO players coming in. Granted, you have Jonathan Smith, who's their coach now. Yeah, I saw that. That's awesome. Who, their quarterback for this season is actually their head coach now. You know, just a real good ball distributor, good quarterback. And, yeah. you know, him and Simonton, Ken Simonton, who's like probably about 5'6 or so, but about 190 pounds, like Pac-10 leading rusher. I mean, great player. They can kind of work independently of, you know, developing a rapport as far as the passing game. But they start off, they, they almost lose out the gate. Yep. They almost lose kind of an embarrassing game out it's the Eastern gate. Washington. Eastern Washington. Yeah. But uh, defense bails them out. They win 21-19. Uh, they're playing non-conference here. Um, and they, that's why it would be so embarrassing because those first games when you're not clicking as a team and it's obvious you're a better team, that's what really screws programs like this. Oh, yeah. And Eastern Washington's a 1AA team. They're yeah, not even – they're they're, I think they're in the big sky, but – uh, the following week, they play New Mexico in um, Albuquerque and uh, barely pull that one out, 28-20. I think a long uh, Patrick McCall, who was Simonton's backup run, kind of really iced the game. But, like, they're really not feeling themselves at 2-0, and but you still haven't started Pac-12 play or Pac-10 play, so I'm going to keep screwing that up the entire time. It just keeps it's all the changing, same. you know. But um, then, then they come home, and the defense pretty much establishes it themselves and your team comes yeah san diego state waltzes and granted this is an era this is a darkness era for this program uh just a darkness football era well that's what these first two three games are supposed to be for these programs they're supposed to be warm up you know kill games essentially yeah so yeah san diego state comes in and that's when you see them really start to click well you see the you i mean you see the defensive line you know ryan atkinson and delorence grant with darius jackson eric manning and dewan edwards just laying the wood i mean you can tell there's a distinct advantage in the front four and they beat them 35 to 3 oh yeah and while they're three and oh nobody in the national media gives a shit because you squeaked out two against not Nobody. big five teams and then you beat down on other cupcakes so you're three and oh and they're going in to play usc and usc is ranked number eight usc is not only ranked number eight this dates back to kind of their losing streak yep they've lost 26 in a row to usc entering this game which I don't even know if that happens in college football anymore. No, I, I can't think of a, a program that's gone that bad. I remember Notre Dame had something like in the 40s that was broken maybe like 10 years ago against Navy, where they had beaten them like 40-some-odd in a row. But it's crazy. 26 in a row, that has to be like just, oh, God. Yeah, but, so they go to USC and beat them, which is 
No, no, no. They, they play in Cor- oh, that they, one in Corvallis. Okay. Yeah, they end their 26-game uh, uh, losing streak. Simonton had a great run yep. in that game to kind of you know put that one away. But 31-21 to at home, you're 4-0, and you just beat the number eight team. Now people are starting to pay attention. Yeah, now, now they're on the map. Simonton had a great quote after the game. Uh, to beat USC to start the Pac-10 season um, – we knew that they, we were good. We didn't have to say it anymore. It was on. Uh, that was our SAT. That was the uh, entrance exam. Yep. So. Yeah. So I saw a quote because they're playing Washington up next. Yeah. Which and is... Washington is good, mind you. Before this game, earlier in the season, and their non-conference schedule, they didn't have patsies. They played Miami. Yep. They played Miami at home. Mind you, this Miami team at the end of 2000, you could make a case, should have played for the national championship. This was They beat Miami in Miami's only loss of that entire year. Yeah. Miami did not lose a game from that point in like September of 2000 until January of 2003. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. But so uh, this, uh, there was a Washington player that came out and said – um, something like the USC game was impressive, but it's still Oregon State. Yeah. That's how they were mentally like preparing it. Like, still the Beavers. We still crush them yeah. every year. That was quite a lucky win. That was kind of what they were saying. And this is one of the better college football games. Oh, I remember watching this like live. So I must have been probably like 13. And yep. it was just back and forth. I mean, a really entertaining game. And this is where you could see... Smith play really well, but his wide receivers play really well. Yep. I mean, he had Robert Prescott returning from the year before, as well as uh, TJ Hushmanzada, future yes. NFLer. But they also got this uh, JUCOer out of uh, California by way of Miami named uh, Chad Johnson. Chad? Chad Johnson? I, I think it's Ocho Cinco now. I, I forget say, I don't think which that's one. His name. But like. W- I, if you've never heard his story about how he just ended up there, it's crazy. But he uh, ends up one year of eligibility remaining in his college career, and he plays only one big season, and he plays it on this team, and he's their best wide receiver. Oh, yeah, by far. And in this game makes an amazing 80-yard touchdown catch. And I think Smith only had one shoe on the play. That's wild. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think one of the biggest moments um... – was when Manning went out. Yeah. That that was something I saw was cuz I don't necessarily remember this game. I kind of remember watching it, but I didn't remember all the in it, ins and outs and I watched like highlights from it and I was like, "Oh shit, Manning went out." And then you could just see the running game opened up for Washington and Yeah, Washington kind of played ball control. They didn't yep. want to give it back and they had a really Washington had a really good offensive line and like I said Oregon State's defense was a little bit on the smaller side despite yes. Kind of having those fast linebackers like a James Allen and Darnell Robertson, Richard Siegler, and then uh, Nick Barnett, who had a he was I think just a freshman, but he was a really good player for the Packers for a long time at linebacker. Well, that was the thing was they could pick up these really great players. Like that's what this one Oregon State team had was not just great college players, but great pro players. Yeah, no, I mean I think they said something like. They had like seven guys who signed NFL contracts, and then in the previous four years, they only had like four players yep. combined. So, I mean, they were a very talented team. And uh, it comes down to the wire in this one. Yep. And uh, Ryan Seska, despite having a great season after this point, he misses a 
46-yard field goal with 14 seconds to go. Which is a pretty long kick. Like, it's yeah. not a gimme, you uh, know? And th- this one this this one was pretty devastating to defenses just because 51 total first downs, 978 yard. I mean, it's just throwing it across the field. But the issue is Washington now has tiebreaker, and they're still undefeated at this point. Oh, yeah. So... Despite being four and one, they keep you know you got to play the rest of the season. You got more games to go. And they that was the thing is sometimes a loss like that will crush a team, and sometimes it will reinvigorate them and be like, no, we're not going to lose again. And that's basically what ended up happening because they play Stanford the following week, um, who had won the Pac-10 the year before, just trounce them thirty-eight to six. Yep. Then they play UCLA, who's ranked 23rd at the Rose Bowl the next And it's a classic Pac-10 game, high-scoring affair. Antonio Battle, one of their backup running backs, had like converted a third and 20-something on a draw in this game. It was absolutely insane. But they win 44-38. to 38. The following week, they play Washington State, who's you know still kind Not, of reeling yeah. post-leaf, 38-9. to nine, just, just like... It's almost like one week it's their defense, then the next week it's their offense, and it just kind of alternates for them. Yeah, when their uh, defense can't defense can't pull it out, their offense like scores that extra fifteen points, and then uh, they end up surviving a scare against Cal on the road, yep. thirty-eight to thirty-two, and then they go to Tucson <laughs> and play you, you, the vaunted Ortiz Jenkins. Yep. He uh, he did pretty well against him. Uh, did you see the Chad Johnson catch from that game? Yes. How insane was that, dude? I bet when scouts from NFL were watching that, they were just like, oh, yes. <laughs> Especially in that era of, I, I want to say, not crazy catching receivers. Because I feel like Chad was one of those first guys that you were like, just throw it up there, and he's going to snack it out of there. Snatch it. Smith threw this ball so far behind him on a slant that the way he contorted his body to come back to the football is unbelievable it's on it's probably all over youtube yeah. you can find it anywhere but it's on his highlight reel that's how i saw it on and it's just oh like, really and, yeah yeah it's it's one of the coolest things you'd, you'd ever and that season he led them in receiving yards mm-hmm. like he with a you know three guys you know smith threw 20 touchdowns simon tid had 19 total i mean this is a really efficient offense and you know Great offensive line that stayed together. You know, Jared Cornell, Chris Gibson, Vincent Sandoval, Robert Sykes, and Mitch White. I mean, they're a well-oiled machine by this point in the season. Well, like that's crushing that's, U of A and going into rivalry weekend. Well, that's what everyone was saying was nobody thought they would have really went through the conference like this. And that's when we look back at this Washington game and start saying, what if? If they win that game, I... <sighs> Because well, let's let's get to the Sorry, Oregon yeah, game I was gonna first, say, let's and then, it up and then go, we'll go back, go to the Fiesta Bowl, and then yep. we'll talk semantics. But so they roll into uh, the Civil War game. That's their big rivalry game against Oregon. They're ranked eighth, and Oregon is ranked fifth. Yeah, and Oregon, I believe, was the team that beat Washington. Oh, okay. So by way, if they win against Oregon State. They hold the tiebreaker and they get to go to the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Over Washington, which unfortunately for Oregon State, granted you have nothing to play for, but you can't play for a BCS 
at large and kind of what they do. And they pretty much go out and kick the crap out of them. I mean, the entire game, they're attacking Joey Harrington. Their secondary is playing really well. Uh, Keith Hayward Johnson, Terrence Carroll, uh, Dennis Weathersby, um, just their entire the entire back end of the defense is confusing the shit out of them. And Johnson's making some catches. Prescott Prescott's making some catches, and uh, they end up winning uh, twenty three to thirteen. And of course, you're ranked eighth. You beat the fifth ranked team in the country. They're ob- obviously out. So now you have to wait is the BCS because it's, what, four games because this is before they had that championship and whatever. Yep. And you have to wait to see what you get, you know, because they could just as easily be playing in something like the Holiday Bowl or something, you know, and get job. But you're 10-1, and one, and to their credit, because of how good they were, they get picked to play in the Fiesta Bowl against Notre Dame. Well, that's what I read was a lot of – because obviously there was the coaches poll and the AP poll at that point – and I think they still have that shit. But one of them, they were ranked fifth, and the other, they were ranked fourth. And they yeah. were, like, talking about how this team has to go to a bowl against somebody that was decent because if they go to the Holiday Inn Special Bowl, they're just going to crush whoever. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna be Texas A&M by, like, 60. Yes. You know? And that's what I, I kept re- uh, reading was, like, that's how a lot of these bowls get picked. Like, no, this is going to be the best matchup for like the three and four team. Yeah, and I mean, th- this was a dominant team. Like, don't let people sell you short on this. I mean, 33.3 points a game ranked 18th in the country. 17.7 points allowed, particularly in the Pac-10. That's 10th. Yeah. I mean, so they end up drawing Notre Dame, who granted in 2000 had a good season, but they never really beat anybody that was good from what i remember that year this is when their schedule was weird and they would kind of pick and choose and not necessarily well i want to say this was the last year that they beat usc for probably a de- over a decade okay i mean they were good um urban meyer was an assistant on that team i oh, remember that's interesting and he had been kind of fighting to get that spread offense that he has so successful with at Utah and Florida installed, and he got overrode. And after the season, he left for Bowling Green, which was ended up being great for him. Oh yeah, so. no, and I'm pretty sure that's why he's turned down Notre Dame every time they've offered him a head coaching job. Oh, but, I bet. Uh, January first, two thousand one, the Fiesta Bowl starts, and uh, do you remember when Kurt Russell goes into Imagination Land and finds the uh, woodland Christmas critters on South Park? And they do all sorts of horrible stuff to him. That's pretty much what happened in Notre Dame in this game. It, like, Oregon State just destroyed them. Yeah. Like, well, that's this is what, I, and this is what I want to talk about with the Washington game. This has kept everybody was saying, like, the what if, because they put these teams together thinking it's going to be an even game or an even-ish game. And Oregon State goes in and crushes Notre Dame. And then people are start saying, like, well, who else would they have crushed? Well, here's the thing. You could tell, like, right off the bat in this game that, like, speed went to the advantage of Oregon State. Not only on the offensive side of the ball, but particularly on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. And... While Oregon State didn't necessarily break through scoring super early, like 
getting a huge lead like off the bat. They were finding Smith was finding a lot of success throwing to tight end uh, Martin Maurer. Oh, okay. Off of like you know rolling out and play action and stuff. Because they were so afraid of Chad and their receiving core. Between that and Simonton and McCall and the yep. fear of that, it just opened everything offensively. And Notre Dame had no like they they had not seen a team like that on their schedule the entire season. Like not nothing of that caliber. Yeah. And it was really evident throughout the entire game. That they really didn't know how to even begin to stop them. Yeah, like Johnson had just an amazing like hitch and go route in that game. I mean, it was it was an ass kicking from start to finish. I can distinctly remember my dad watching this game and him just being like, "Wheels fucking fell off." Way better than them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I bet it was pretty evident, and that's the thing that you go back to this missed field goal, and you go back to Manning getting out because I mean Erickson was furious at that. I remember seeing. Well, that. He, he hit was, the guy. I think of the ball. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. It wasn't yeah. It wasn't uh, egregious, but. Or it was, but whatever. Um, but I'm saying, like, this was the only time that the Oregon State Beavers that they ever could be like, what if? Because they could have been. And I feel like now that they had the playoff, it would have kind of played oh, they out better, been in the in, top four of that. better in their favor. Cunningham had said, like, watching that game, he's like, I'm watching the best team in college football this season. Yep. And they beat Notre Dame 41-9. to And honestly, if – a lot of these games at the time, even though they're BCS, is they're still regional. So if you're going to have Oregon State, you're going to want to play them in Arizona because geographically that's closer. Because that year in the Sugar Bowl, Miami, who had gone, I, I think they, they had the same record as Oregon State, or they were 11-1 and entering the bowl game. They drew Florida. Oh, okay. And F- Florida that year, they I mean, they were good. They were a top-10 team, but... God damn, Miami beat the brakes off them. Like, it was bad. Because in the national championship, you had um, 2000. It would have been Oklahoma, who was undefeated, who ended up winning. Yep. For whatever reason, Florida State, who had lost to Miami that year for their only loss, got to play in that game. So Instead of Miami, it's who should have went one lost team. But if Oregon State runs the table and goes eleven and zero, it's them in Oklahoma. It's them playing Oklahoma, likely Oof. beating Oklahoma. Well, that's what everybody was talking about. Is what if? Yeah, and it's just incredible to see like almost a shooting star because after oh, that, oh yeah, and that's what I love so much about this era of Pac-10 football is. It's somebody new every year mm-hmm. because after the USC dominance, you know, in the mid 2000 or mid 2000 aughts or whatever to the 2010s, then it's Oregon dominating for that allotted period yep. of time. And now it seems to be kind of back open again back for open, everybody, yeah. you know, and it's it's interesting. Maybe maybe Oregon State breaks through. Maybe they make that Rose Bowl. Keep, uh, keep reaching for that Rose Bowl, everybody. I'd love it. Uh, real quick, and how long did Erickson stay on that uh, Oregon State coaching staff? <laughs> 2002. There you go. Yep. And that's my man. He and, comes in for three, four years, and he's gone. And then he's gone. He goes to the 49ers and implodes that franchise. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Hey, everybody. This is just a stock message at the end of every episode. We hope you enjoyed whatever athlete and or team that that episode was about. 
Just want to say, give us a quick follow on all social media. We have a YouTube channel, the Sports Experience Podcast, and we're on Instagram, Totolo Dominic and myself, C. Quinn Comedy. So give us a follow all around. Um, we're always recording right here at Angle Studio. Thank you all very much. <laughs>